0: Simple title today, Go and Make Disciples. Go and Make Disciples. We've spoken numerous times over the years on this topic and probably will yet again. Uh, today, uh, you know, I'm trying to get just a little bit different take and want you to see something just a little different. We, we want to be reminded of our root purpose in remaining on the earth. Bob Mumford said that if the only goal for a Christian was to go to heaven, then he would only, he'd need a a preacher and somebody with a gun (laughs) to get us saved and send us home. Obviously, that's not God's main intention. Now, let me say this, and please don't misunderstand me. Heaven is not the primary goal for you becoming born again. Now, don't don't you hear that I said we weren't going to heaven? Because we are going to heaven. That's going to be a great and wonderful day. But I have a sneaking suspicion that God intended for us to be here for yet a little while. And you can probably figure out what gives me that suspicion is that's because we are here. Again, quoting Bob Mumford, he said that as a Christian, we have to go to heaven. We have nowhere else to go. (laughs) So think about that. So, but we want to be reminded, a lot of us are there already, of our root purpose, and why we're still here on the earth. Maybe we'll have a clearer picture of what it means to make a disciple. And by the way, that's making a disciple of Jesus, not necessarily making one of us. And to recognize this, this commission, the great commission, it's not a suggestion. It's not, well, if we feel like it, if we if it, if we can get it to agree with our theology, <laughs> uh, to recognize that this is not a suggestion, but it's a direct command or a commission. And um, too too much of the church is living in the great omission. And that includes many of us in this room. That we have. When you hear how few people have ever shared the gospel with someone or how few people have ever led someone into Christ, into the kingdom, in the church, the numbers are embarrassing. Matthew 28 is, is referred to commonly called the passage that leads to what we call the Great Commission. You've heard me say, uh several times that that Derek Prince said from a military standpoint that you you uh those of you have been in the military know what this looks like but that you obey the last command that you received until you get another one. And if you haven't got a, a new command you keep doing the old command until that expires. Well the last words last command we received from Jesus while he was on the earth is this one. Nothing has replaced it. And I got a a note for you that nothing ever will replace it. If you haven't already turned to Matthew 28, would you do so? And then would you stand uh, while we read? I want to just get us here. I'm not going to read the verses, but the earlier verses, uh, you find Mary Magdalene and the other Mary uh, going to the tomb. And, and uh, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. He's not here. He's risen. Go quickly. Tell his disciples that he's risen uh, from the dead. That's verse 7. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And then you go down just a few verses, Jesus met the disciples, they came up to him, he said, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 16, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority is in heaven and on earth, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You can be seated. Lord, add your anointing to the reading of of the word. So Jesus has been with these guys for three and a half years They've been through all kind of events and and circumstances, and he's nearing the end, and he he gets word to them to go meet him in Galilee. Meet me at Galilee. As an appointed and designated meeting time and a meeting place. Uh, That's something we can learn from Jesus, and this is because he is operating from a very real sense of purpose. Jesus is never haphazard. Jesus is never blundering through life. He's got purpose, and he's got intention. And he intended for them to meet him. There's numerous references leading up to this, to him meeting them in Galilee. It's interesting that he began and ended his ministry in Galilee. I don't know if that's an accident or not. Uh, and he's he's saying, I, I'm calling a meeting Somehow I just remembered that years ago, years and years ago, Brother Charles Simpson called a meeting on a Saturday afternoon when he was pastoring in church in Mobile. And uh, it was only after the fact that he realized that he called the meeting during the Alabama football game. He didn't change the meeting. But he called this meeting for, for several purposes. One of the main things was to pass on the mantle of his mission. Jesus began a ministry and a mission while he was on the earth. And when he went and ascended to heaven, that mission did not cease. The mantle and the feet of that mission was handed over to his earthly disciples. By the way, as a sort of a side note, this is the first time that an act of worship is mentioned in connection with his disciples. Never before do we see the words they worshiped him by, from his disciples. Somehow, and they still hadn't received the Holy Spirit, but somehow they saw something this time. When they began to walk towards him in Galilee, and when they saw him, they worshiped. It says, but some of them doubted. Now, our first reaction would be, well, that's Thomas. Well, I can tell you by this time, Thomas is not doubting anymore. He's already seen Jesus walk through the walls. He's already uh, seen Jesus present his scars to them. And by the way, I, I'm, I may write this in the kernels of Truth. By the way, Thomas... He says, I'll not believe unless I can see the scars in his hands and his feet. Unless I can touch them, is what he says. But when he sees Jesus, we have no record of him touching the scars. Because Jesus was enough. He didn't need to see scars. So I don't think it's necessarily Thomas. Some scholars believe that this company of disciples was included the twelve, but was not limited to the twelve. I don't know. But I do believe that because it says some of them doubted, the very next words out of Jesus' mouth was, hey, guys, all authority has been given me. So you can calm that down. Another thing is he told them in in the earlier verses, go to Galilee and there, everybody say there. there. They will see me. Go to Galilee and there They will see me. When I read that verse. Which I've read thousands of times probably. But when I read that verse this week. What I saw is. There. Is our place of obedience. What were they doing when they decided to go to Galilee? They were being obedient to the direction of the Lord Jesus. And I want to tell you. That if you want to see with your spiritual eyes the Lord Jesus, you will find him in your place of obedience. If you do find him in your place of rebellion, you might not like it. He said all authority, the right, the jurisdiction has been given me in heaven and on earth. Did you hear that in heaven and on earth? All authority, not some of it, all authority. And he assumes this position as a result of his obedience to the Father. Now, obedience was never in question. Jesus' obedience was never in question. Nobody was sitting around patting their foot. Well, I hope he don't blow this. I hope Jesus doesn't disobey his Father. No, nobody was worried about that. But the Bible says he learned He learned obedience through the things he suffered. So, but his obedience to the the father as the son of man, remember, he was very God and he was very man. There was never one minute that he was not God, but he was a man at the same time. He received all authority. By the way, it says he met his 11 disciples and when you read that, doesn't that give you just a certain amount of sadness? Because one's missing. There used to be twelve. And you can get into all of that, but it just, just looks that way. All authority. When God the Father gives Jesus all authority, He's given Him the power to act. He's given Him the right to do what He needs to do. He's, He, uh, He's giving him in some ways the privilege of Godhead because he is God. But remember that he's, he's doing this or receiving this authority as the son of man. Jesus assumes upon himself what was spoken of by Daniel. And we're going, I'm just going to give you two verses. He, it says, I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming With the clouds of heaven. Son of man in this version. On the one on the screen. Son of man is capitalized. We know that's deity. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days. Also capitalized. And they brought him near before him. Then to him. Was given dominion. And glory. And a kingdom. Then to him. Was given a kingdom. To him, who's him? The son of man. Who's the son of man? The Lord Jesus Christ is the son of man. He's come as one of us without sin, completely perfect. Didn't have to deal with his flesh. He comes as the son of man. Jesus himself says these words, All things have been handed over to me by my Father all things. As I said earlier, he assumes this authority as the son of man, and the way the reason we know that is this, saints. He was already God. And as God, nothing could be added to him or taken away from him. Nothing. Because he comes as one of us. He died as one of us. And yet, because he was God, he was sinless. And we, we had a sinless, perfect sacrifice take our place. Therefore, we refer to him as our mediator, our, the one who stands between us and God. He writes, Paul writes to Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And just in case we didn't get it, he says, the man Christ Jesus, the man. Now when I say the man or the son of man, do not think I'm denigrating him because I'm saying the son of man was God. Don't ever, don't ever buy a teaching that Jesus spent one second on earth not being God. It's unbiblical. It's just flat wrong. He will continue to exercise this authority in what some people call his mediatorial kingdom, is a mediator, until, everybody say until, until Until he has put his enemies under his feet, he's destroyed death, and he's presented the kingdom to the Father. Now, we're not going to turn, but you can find that in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 27. When that day comes, he's going to present the kingdom to the Father. Say, do you understand all about that? No. Do you believe it? Yes. But until that time, he's going to rule and reign as the son of man in the mediatorial kingdom because the son of man is also the son of God. So he he's established. I've heard somebody recently saying too many times when we preach on the Great Commission, we start at verse 19 and we forget that verse 19 and verse 20 are rooted in verse 18 because he has all authority because he's given been given all authority, not just on earth, but in heaven and earth because of that, he can say to us, therefore go. The go comes out of his authority that he's been given by the father because of His authority and our cooperation with him as his representatives on the earth. You, if you're a born-again believer, follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given the task of being a representative of Jesus Christ in the earth. He's the head. We're the body. Now, if if you do a little bit of uh, word study and so forth, you'll find out that the word therefore in at least one manuscript that is very reliable is not there. Find out what therefore is therefore, but if therefore is not there, what do you do? Well, what you do is you realize that if, in fact, it's not there, it's in several other manuscripts, By the way, get the book, How We Got the Bible, and you can find out about all that stuff. But, no, that's another topic. It's implied by what preceded it. All authority has been given to me, so therefore, go. You go because of his authority. And the word go there is an interesting word. It's, it, it, I don't think it communicates everything that the that the writer intended. I'm going to give you t- two versions. There's one of them. Therefore, as you go, disciple all the nations. Uh, the God's Word translation says, so wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. So while there is certainly a part of this commission that is telling us to go, the truth is, what it's really telling us is, as you go, some some versions there will actually say, while you were on your way, make disciples. Remember this. Remember us talking two weeks ago. I forgot now about the vine. That the are we a vine church or a circle church? And the vine grows out of the the flower pot, so to speak. The vine grows out into the community. I always point that direction. I think y'all think I don't like Lebanon. <laughs> out into the community. And a vine, as it grows, whatever it touches, it, it attaches itself to it. A vine's not necessarily going out there looking for somebody. But wherever life takes that vine, it finds Things, Of course, in our case, it's people to attach to. Wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. Dr. Tony Evans says, nowhere in the Bible are we told to bring our non-Christian friends and co-workers into the church to win them to Christ. True. Is it wrong to bring your non-Christian friends to church? Absolutely not. What Dr. Evans is trying to communicate to us is Jesus didn't say stay. He said go. Remember again in that message we talked about that a circle church is we stand out there at the door with the door open. We yell out, hey, get in here. Come in here and see our flower pot. We're waiting in here for you. This is a, this verb, and we're going to have a little English lesson here. Are you okay with that? If I knew how to do English. This command is in the active imperative, which all that means is, it's a charge to do it without delay. It's it's just a charge. Just go. And while you're going, just go. Live your life. Take, go where your feet take you. The action that this verb, here's a, here's a key, folks. The action that this verb is describing, because if you get into the original and all that stuff. And I'm, you know, you've heard me say that I know a little Greek. And he used to have a sandwich shop down in New Orleans. <laughs> That's the extent. Anyway, the action this verb is describing is the result. Everybody say result of something that happened in the past. The way the, the way the tense of the verb is. That's all I can, best way I can explain it. And it, and it gives rise to an action that you were commanded to take in the present. So because of something that's already happened, we're given this commission to do something now. Because Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, because all authority has been given the Son of Man, The Son of God. Now we've been given this commission in the present because of the past. If there's no death, burial, and resurrection, there's no reason for us to have a commission. Our problem is we like staying better than going. We're lazy. Well, then he says, go and make disciples. Lord, help me. I'm already good night. Well, that word in the, the Greek text, make disciples, is one word. It's just one word. And it's pronounced, I think, matheteo or mathetuo. And it's, listen, it's the main verb in the sentence. Here's more of our English lesson. It's the main, it's the central verb in that sentence everything in that sentence pivots around that verb. And by the way, that is where we get our word, mathematics. Mathetuos, matheteos, I'm not sure. I can say mathematics. It's the only active imperative in this, this sentence. This little Greek word that none of us know anything about hardly, Is the crux. Of why you're still here. On the earth. It's why you're still. Sucking air. It's why you're still breathing. Because. Go and make. In other words. We sometimes. We preachers. When we. When we deal with. Verse 19. We really hammer. Go. Go. Make disciples. But. The intent. And the structure of this sentence is not. It's go make disciples. That's the key. Go make disciples. That's the, that's the pivot point of this verse. Matheteo must be distinguished from the verb matheo, Matheteo or Mateo, I don't know. Which simply means to learn without any attachment to the teacher who teaches. I would submit to you that too much under the guise and the name of discipleship today fits that description. Simply means to learn without any attachment to the teacher who teaches. You can get a study book from Lifeway and you can go through the study book together and the person can answer all the questions right and still not be a disciple. ...of Jesus Christ. Am I opposed to study books? No. I got a stack of them back there. Matheteo means not only to learn... ...but to become attached... ...to one's teacher... ...and to be- become his follower... ...in doctrine and conduct of life. Now, who, if you're going to follow someone... ...and you're going to follow their doctrine... Whose doctrine must they be adopting? Come on now, the Lord Jesus. You don't want to follow anybody that's creating their own doctrine. It has to be his. W.E. Vines in his dictionary says, A disciple was not only a pupil, but an adherent. Hence, they are spoken of as imitators of their teacher. Adherent. I know a lot of times some some Bible dictionaries will define uh, the word matheteos as a pupil. That's not enough. Matter of fact, it's a little bit wrong. But the, to be an adherent is a, is a is a different matter. To to find that relationship. By the way, y'all heard me say this. If you really want to learn what it's like to to. Make a disciple or to become a disciple. The original Karate Kid. Go watch it. Mr. Miyagi knew how to make a disciple. He did not hand Danielson a book. Now, I love to read, but he didn't hand him a book and said, this is how you can become a disciple. No, he said, wax on, wax off. And Danielson is thinking, what has this got to do with fighting somebody? What about, Ricky mentioned the chosen. What about in the chosen when, okay, I always forget that. Is it John and, who's John John and Andrew are plowing the field? James James and John. Yeah, oh, that's right. Big James. James and John are out plowing this field. And, boy, you ought to see them if you hadn't seen it. I don't want to give it away, but it's kind of in that book. No, this is not in that book, actually. <laughs> I mean, they got a plow made with sticks and thorn. You know, it's just it's not like getting on a tractor and firing it. It's not even like plowing behind a mule. Anyway, they're plowing a field and they have no idea why they're doing it. They don't know who they're doing it for. All they know is Jesus said, go over there and plow that field. And interestingly enough, they did it. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to tell you anything else. Because when you find out why they plowed that field, you're going to go, whoa. Now, nobody from the Chosen paid me to do that. But my point is, we've got to do more than just have a classroom. A disciple is one who is a learner. I think that's a better term than a pupil. A learner in the sense that the word is a linear term. It's going somewhere. It's moving in a direction. A learner. As you go, you are branches of the vine growing out of the flower pot with divine connections to cause them to become learners and followers. Now, here, listen to me. If you hadn't heard anything else, I got to say, listen to this. Our role as disciple makers is not to turn people into Bible scholars or theologians. That's not our role. Now, some people have that, you know, that, that are in education and they're going to further their involvement and in their studying of the scriptures as, as part of it. But the most of us, our role is not to turn them into scholars And theologians, because not everyone is gifted to do that. And it's not a numbers game. It's not go get as many as you can. That's one of the things we've done in the past. We've made people feel like, when you say go and make disciples, well, you need to go out there and get you a big old pile of people, as many as you can get your hands on. Well, that's okay, I guess. But, boy, if you just spent your time with one person, just one person, and don't try to turn them into eggheads. Just live life. And turn, and just show them the way. You say, well, I'm not perfect. We'll show them that too. They need to know that you don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. He was perfect and he made the way. It's It's not a numbers game. It's a people mission. It's a mission for people. And I'm going to speed it up here just a little bit. So, Hank, don't worry. The food will be when we get done. He said, now, here's how you're going to make disciples identifying, baptizing them, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's an external, water baptism is an external demonstration of an internal truth and reality. It's a public display of our allegiance to Jesus in the seal of water baptism. Let me hasten to add, it is, it is not just a symbol. It's an action. It's not just a symbol, but it's, it's the, it's something that actually takes place in our heart. Because any time you're obedient, especially when the very first act you have as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, when the very first act you have is to be obedient to him in water baptism. What a great way to start your Christian life. And he said, what happens is, is when you get water baptized, you're identifying with him. You heard me tell the story that Brother Charles Simpson and Brother Ken Summerall were in some country, and they were down by the riverbank watching a line of people go into the waters to be baptized. It was a lot of them. And their guide said to them, you guys don't understand what's going on. And they said, what's going on? They said, we're here, and these people are being baptized. Back at their house where they're living, someone is right now burning it down. Why? Because they have been, they are identifying themselves with Jesus Christ. And they know that. When they're getting in the water, they know that. They still got in the water. We carry the name of Jesus Christ. Really, you could reword that baptizing into the name of the Father and the name of the Son and Holy Spirit. Not only do we. Cause them to identify themselves with Christ, we teach them. Again, this is not a classroom lesson necessarily, but we teach them to guard or watch what I have commanded you. To attend to carefully. So you say, well, what am I supposed to teach them? I don't have a curriculum. Oh, yes, you do. Right here in this book. See so what it says? What I have commanded you. What I have direction I have given you. The instruction I have given you. Just tell them. Tell them what you, what you know. Well, I wish I knew more. Well, don't even say that until you've ex- exhausted what you already got. Don't be trying to give away what you don't have until you've given away what you do have. unless we are totally identified with and committed to the lordship of Jesus, there will always be something or someone else that maintains the reins of our lives. And when we commit ourselves to him through being baptized and teaching, it's not just an educational program, but a life-altering and directing relationship with God and his word. Jesus doesn't, Want us to just pass a test of knowledge. I'm not against knowledge. I'm for knowledge. For knowledge. That sounds like I'm a Presbyterian. Got you, Kevin. (laughs) But he wants us to pass the test of life. Knowledge is good. Passing the test of life is better. Everything Jesus has commanded us to do is designed to change our lives as disciples and to change the lives of those with whom we share it. Remember when I said linear, that we we are learners, and that term is a linear term. It's moving forward. Because if we aren't gaining ground, we are losing ground. There's no such thing In your walk with Jesus Christ, there's no such thing as sitting down somewhere and stopping. Because if you do that, then you're going backwards. So, Well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving forward. I'm not moving backwards. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards. No matter what kind of inertia you're dealing with. And then the last thing, well, almost the last thing. He said, behold. Behold. He gives all these instructions. Go make disciples. Baptizing them in the By the way, you don't have to be a clergy to baptize. Okay. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Teach them everything I've told you. Teach them what I, what what I've t- I've shown you. If we found one person, if God brought us to one person and we were able to communicate to them everything that God had show, showed us or we were doing, wow, we'd have a great world. Behold, and what I'll just reword that, I'll give you the Granger translation of, or Granger paraphrase. And this is really what that word means in the Greek. It means, now pay attention to what I'm about to say to you. Pay attention. What I'm about to say to you is really important. And he probably said to Peter or somebody, hey, lift your head, look at me. Behold, you don't have to go it alone. Because when you see this thing of making disciples and, and pouring your life into somebody, That can be a daunting deal, a daunting task. And Jesus said, you don't have to go it alone because I will be with you always. Everybody say always. Always. See, through the whole process of working with people, Jesus said, I'm going to be with you through it all. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. You're going to have the grace of God. You're going to have the wisdom of God. You're going to have the revelation of God. Why do you have all of that? Because you have Jesus Christ. And all of that is not, are not just things that he gives us. Technically, I guess, yes. But all of those are things that he is. That's who he is. And we'll finish here. Jesus, the disciple maker. Remember, people were, were his method. We're always looking for methods, new methods, new, new everything. Jesus, he was the... People was his method. He just looked for people. He, he just went through life and he, as he ran across people. It was no accident. He touched people. He didn't just touch them physically, he touched them with his words. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with people whom the multitudes would follow. Because not, then, if you're making disciples, and we're talking multiplication, not addition. If you're making disciples and you're multiplying, then their life and their quality of life is better, and everybody they touch, the quality of their life is better. It improves because they're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus spent personal time with Mary Magdalene. Now, in today's church culture, we would not not want to have anything to do with Mary Magdalene. I'm saying that, quote unquote, because unclean. Well, she wasn't a leper, but but he spent personal time with her. He didn't. He didn't endorse her lifestyle. He didn't tell her, "Oh, you're okay. Love everybody, love everybody." No, he said, "I'm gonna cast those demons out of you, and you're gonna be good." And she followed him the rest of her life. I mean, she met him at the tomb. Because he spent time with her. Same thing with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a hated individual, tax collector. And yet he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I want to go to your house. And all he walked right by a bunch of religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees. He walked right by those folks and ignored some others and pointed up into a tree to a little man that everybody despised. But he said, I want to spend some time with you, Zacchaeus. Going back to what Ricky said, you, God's not waiting for everybody to get their lives cleaned up, to come to him. When I was in high school, I'd witness to my friends, and they'd say, well, whenever I get my get straightened out. When I was a teenager, I didn't have enough sense at that time to say, you can't. You can't straighten yourself out, so don't even try. I, I just kept, I, I would say, well, all I know is you got to accept him. Jesus discipled by association. He associated with people. He needed disciples to lead in his absence. And he promised, listen, he promised empowerment. I'm leaving. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to make intercession for you. And what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit on you, empower you to do what I'm asking you to do. Amen. Because you've heard me say a supernatural mission requires supernatural power. And our mission, by the way, is supernatural. I read a book years ago. I probably read it more than once. I referred to it at a recent leadership meeting. The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. He says in that book, it it is not. You know what? I'm going to say I don't care about the time. Worship team, why don't you all come up? I want you to close out with a song. Sue me. It is not better methods, but better men. And by the way, here, women there too, non-gender specific. Men who know their Redeemer from something more than hearsay. Men who see his vision and feel his passion for the world. Men who are willing to be nothing in order that he might be everything. Men who want only for Christ to produce his life in and through them according to his own good pleasure and his book is gives us the the plan of evangelism that Jesus used i don't know where this message finds you today might have found you looking at your watch several times i don't know but it could be that we we all could not use a good another good dose of some new wine from the throne of god it could be that we realize that we're talking about making disciples and I'm not a very good one myself. And we need to say, Lord, help me. Like the guy said, Lord, I believe, now help my unbelief. Whatever that may be, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit might be saying to you and uh, whatever that response looks like. At the very least, we can sing together and sing a confession together uh, as the body of christ you okay with that stand with me worship team lead us
1: in the crushing in the pressing you are making new In the soil I Now surrender You are breaking New ground So I yield to you And to your careful hand When I trust you I don't need to understand Because where there is new wine, there is new power. And where there is freedom, the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. Make me an offering Make me whatever You want me to be I came here with nothing But all you have given me Jesus bring you I Hallelujah. Jesus bring